everyone, and welcome to Oya's podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Leo Treadwell. Uh, Leo is the founder of I Am The Matrix, and he's an inventor of a revolutionary mind-hacking technology called autobiographical feedback. Leo is a serial entrepreneur, uh, and for the past 20 years, he has been trying to figure out how to ground people and get them to snap out and state change as well as to expand their consciousness. Now, I know saying something like expand your consciousness sounds just like, what does that even mean? It's kind of like the same, you know, when you're a kid and they say the universe is expanding and you say into what? Um, the same with expanding consciousness. Well, uh, spoiler alert, the answer is into reality be having more and more of reality disclosed to you and in turn having your more and more of yourself disclosed to reality. It's a feedback loop of co-creation and coordination. So these have been age-old practices um, that have been done through mostly uh, religions like Buddhism and Taoism that people know of, but mostly from the Eastern sphere. It's also was done in the ancient sphere with... Um, the ancient philosophy of Plato and Plotinus uh, and others like them, Diogenes among them. So this isn't anything new in particular, but it's new in the formulation and the execution and the using everyday objects to center and ground yourself to remind you to, again, state change and help you to expand your horizons and your consciousness and the way that you shift your perspective in looking at the world. So I was very excited to sit down with Leo. This conversation goes in a m number of directions around consciousness and what that means and how it is affected and how we should, how, what the approaches are to it and how to navigate in and out of this thing that still has no definition. Um, the two, especially people tend to get stuck between the consciousness as an object or as a state of being and then the mechanisms of consciousness. When you read about it, you hear people discuss one of those things, but never both together. So what we tried to do here was touch on consciousness as an object or as a thing and then, or as an existential state, we should say, and then it, the mechanisms that make it function practically. So hope you enjoy this. It's a bit of a heady one, but it's also just kind of fun to think about. So Leo, thanks for coming to Oyo's podcast. I'm very excited to have you here. You are doing some radical stuff. Um, you're at least experimenting in a space uh, that I've thought about quite a bit. And um, I'm interested to kind of get into the nitty gritty nuts and bolts, as they say, not to use mechanical language when we're talking about an organic mechanisms. Um, but, you know, Metaphorical speech is metaphorical speech. So I just wanted to uh, kind of, I'm, I'm excited to dive headfirst into this kind of. Um, and I, for our listeners, I guess, could you kind of briefly introduce yourself um, and what you're doing and what you're working on? Sure. So my name is Leo Treadwell, and I'm currently living in the Dominican Republic, North Coast, uh, enjoying a beautiful life. And my life work. That's where I'm at in this moment. Something that I've been actually uh, putting together for about 20 
nine years at this point, almost 30 years. And for whatever reason, I had an NDE, a near-death experience when I was in my early 20s and I was given my mission, my purpose in life. And I've been training this whole time for this particular moment where we're at this crossroads of moving either towards the digital butterfly into transhumanism or awakening the human spirit and the totality of, of what we're capable of being and experiencing that in this form in this lifetime. I, I personally, truthfully believe that we are at that bifurcated uh, path right now where we're going to have to make a decision uh, which way we want to put most of our energy. So we're either, I think we're either going to go with the flow, which seems to be moving towards that transhumanism, or uh, maybe challenge ourselves and step up to the plate and see what in the heck this amazing avatar body that we inhabit is capable of. I mean, certainly we know it can do up to 100 billion computations per second, and the DNA can hold up to 215 petabytes of information per gram. And I don't think nature makes something like this for no reason. Yeah. But um, at the end of the day, does it really matter which way we go? I don't really think so. But um, the path towards liberating uh, the, the full potential of a human being and a human collective being is exciting to me. That's the path that is kind of been planted inside of me for like 30 years, as I said. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, you see a lot of it nowadays is everybody seeming to get more disembodied and disconnected. And they have, uh, just because they're online constantly, and you're in this world that is, uh, like from all, you know, I guess perspectives and what people can perceive is limitless. And they are putting themselves in this limitless culture. You're seeing them wanting to change and reject their meat sack of a body. They are wanting to, you know, just be whatever they want to be um, and to endlessly customize their futures. Um, through this transhumanist movement um and what we're i think what we're saying is that you can also customize yourself even within natural limits and you can you know you can expand and improve upon that and that it's actually a much more meaningful life instead of adding this compressed uh making the complex into the complicated with this digital realm uh, and this inferior version of, of what you're, what you're swimming in. Correct. Do you mind if I respond to that? Go ahead. So the longest study, uh, at a university is a study on happiness from Harvard university. And it's been passed down from professor to professor for a few generations. And there's a overlap between that happiness study and the work that Dr. David Sinclair is doing on longevity. Mm -hmm. And that is, that if we have a meaningful life of contribution and community, uh, something that actually has us be awakened and excited about life, we actually live longer. Um, yep. Annie, o Annie Oakley said, I don't need more men in my life. I need more life in my men. And uh, <laughs> I thought that was really cool because here's a woman, obviously very vivacious, you know, uh, running up and down the, the, the West slinging guns. But it's interesting to me where... Like Dr. David Sinclair will ask people, you know, hey, do you want to live forever? Because we have something called longevity escape velocity ahead of us right now. Mm -hmm. most, people, most people's first response is no. And the reason why is it's like life kind of sucks. So yeah. for a lot of people, and I, I can see that perspective for sure. But at the same time, if you were to say, hey, you want to die tomorrow? Everyone would be like, no. Right. So there's this, uh, you know, this, this uh, split 
aspect of, you know, part of me feels this way. Another part of me feels that way. How do we integrate these parts, you know, parts integration? Yeah, there's this, rom- there's this romantic notion, I think, that death gives life meaning. And I always thought life gives life meaning. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the, yeah, the, I, I think that's a, it's a weird perspective on it. Like, oh, I'm going to die, so it's more meaningful. Well, no, just make it more meaningful. You can attach meaning to, you know, meaning comes from multiple avenues into form multiple identities and, and roles and assumptions and objects and subjects and things that you can do to assign it. You don't need death there to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Ex- exactly. But we've also, at least in our recorded history, we've never had the opportunity to choose the possibility of, of eternal life or even extended lifespan, like, hey, I'm going to choose this. I'm going to live 30 years longer. So we got to wrestle with that a little bit, I guess, as a species as and as individuals. Yeah, individuals, I think, will make choices. I think some people will opt out of it and some people will opt in. Um, some people will choose their legacy as they normally have been for, you know, in time immemorial through children or art or whatever that they do to, you know, choose to leave the legacy behind. And some will say, like, screw this, I'm going to keep going. Um, yeah, it's, it's a hard choice. You know, it's a, it's a transformative choice. And, you know, it's the same as if I were to ask you, do you want to be a vampire? And I'm a vampire and you would have no idea exactly what's on the other side of that. I could describe it to you, but you'd have no idea until you actually became that thing, you know. Unless I said, like, uh, yo, I am. Right. <laughs> Someone actually, cool. my uh, my brother-in-law actually called me a vampire the other day. We were, at a, <laughs> we were at a funeral, and he says, you look so young. You have to be a vampire. I was like, no, dude. Back off. <laughs> <laughs> it's daytime. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, so I kind of want to get into this, um, and I, I like I said, I watched a couple of your other podcasts, and it's this—it's a new language you're creating, or would you describe it as a language? Would you describe it as a uh, symbolic rubric? Would you describe it as um, mnemonic recall devices? Would you describe, you know, how are you describing exactly this thing that you're that you're creating this autobiographical feedback? Sure. So thank you for asking me those questions. So the same questions that I'm asking myself as we're putting together our launch and how we're going to market this, because this has never been done before. Yes, it does include mnemonics for sure. It's 100 uh, percent building upon that Greek uh, biohacking methodology to increase uh, mental acuity to stack information into glyphic imagery so that there's, you know, far more details than just seeing, you know, what you're looking at, which pretty much all uh, hieroglyphic imagery does. It, it mm-hmm. works in a way in which unifies most of the brain. So that's there. And it's also a language, 100% for sure, if we consider that we have self-talk. Because, I mean, this is not a language that I would say to you but as I'm, you know, going about my day, I can point out to my wife, like, look at that. And she'll know exactly what I mean because she understands my language. Uh, but it's not verbal. It can be verbal, but it's not really what it's designed to be. Why? Because although it is a language, uh, and be- part of the reasons it's called autobiographical feedback is because each individual creates their own autobiography that feeds back to them. So my language, uh, you know, a mutual friend of ours, Mayan, so he called me there and he said, hey, what does 347 mean? I said, bro, it's 
it's your language. So I have right. no idea what it would be to you. And I don't want to uh, disenfranchise the, the validity and the power and the beauty of what I, what it means to me by sharing that with you, because it's not going to have any meaning to you probably. Right. And, but, uh, you know, when we take a look at, you know, like work like, uh, Joe Dispenza does, or Tony Robbins does, or Bruce Lipton does. Let's take those three. They're kind of at the top of, or even Greg Braden. Let's take those four, four horses. Mm -hmm. Right. Greg Braden's constantly talking about the power of um, uh, gematria and how if we were using a language like that, we would be organizing so much more of the brain's potential resources because it's encoded into numbers with phonetics and imagery and emotion. Joe Dispenza is saying fire together, wire together. If you can get these things to fire together and wire together, you're going to create a new consciousness. Tony Robbins is saying, Tony Robbins is saying, interrupt your pattern, interrupt your pattern, create new anchors, create new anchors. Bruce Lipton is saying, change your internal environment, change your epigenetic genetic response, and you're going to be able to live longer, be happier, be healthier. So I right. said, well, let's design something that does all of that automatically, which is another reason this is called autobiographical feedback, because it automatically works with biology through this feedback mechanism. So you're creating new neural connections, you're creating a new uh, internal physiology in order to pre-program those uh, cells to have a genetic expression that's different from stress. You are you know, interrupting the pattern constantly, leveraging applied neuroplasticity, you're firing and wiring, boom, 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 boom. And it's using uh, gematria. Yeah. For that whole brain experience. Yeah, it's yeah. It seems like as a combination of multiple things. The, you know, all all of this old. You have this old religious art or this old um, symbolism. I think one of the ones as far back as you can go across cultures is like the Ouroboros symbol, snake eating its tail, um, or that these different symbols pop up across multiple cultures that were separate from each other, and there is this underlying grammar that is inside of of human consciousness um, that continuously repeats itself. And so you can tie into that and a lot of people you can it's easier to re retrieve meaning or to remember things through symbols through the numbers through these different high like you said hieroglyphs as, as you mentioned earlier and then it seems like you're also touching on the other side which is um the imaginal versus imagination right now i don't know if you've heard that distinction before but there's yeah, yeah it's it's a big thing in psychology imagination is just you know like um, imagine um imagine a sailboat in your mind and then i say you know was the sail up or down and you can tell me you know what you saw and everything but imaginal is acting through your imagination so it's like when a when a you know kid puts on a superman cape and he's flying around right. and he's pretending to be superman and right. he's you know he and he, so he's enacting things like bravery like heroicism like all of these things and he's actually becoming those emotions and, and those things. So it seems like you're trying to tap into that imaginal space. Yes. As a matter of fact, um, one time I was opening for uh, Dr. Dr. Chopra at an opera house in, in Washington. And I came, came up and I was giving a talk on the imaginal cell inside of the butterfly and how that relates to the sixth dimensional aspect of ourselves that has comes with a projection that fifth dimensional aspect of ourself has to be aware of it. And then we've got to integrate it into our fourth dimensional timeline, third dimensional world, two dim second dimensional duality, and understand that that comes from singularity at source. So mm. I was getting this conversation. He came up afterwards, like, dude, I was pretty much going to talk about the same thing. <laughs> <laughs>
But yeah, you know, I think each one of us, that's what our purpose is, our hero's journey, our messianic voyage, that epic existence is listening to those imaginal cells that are inside of our body. They carry the blueprint of our butterfly within. And it doesn't do any good to just like make something up necessarily unless we have no clue where we're going. Then let's make something up and see what happens when we get there. If we have a different vantage point to maybe understand, you know, what's my purpose? Uh, right. What's, yeah. What's Where's my compass leading me? Right. There's um. I don't know if you, you know Jordan Peterson, the Canadian psychologist. Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Jordan Peterson has this uh, self-authoring program that he put Love out. It. Right, it. it's future authoring and stuff like this, Love and it. it's all based on these psychological studies where they had a bunch of people come in. These are all like PhD students, and they wanted them to be better financial planners. So they said, "Listen, they told them the importance logically of saving money, putting it away for your future, da da da." And they explained it to them propositionally. Right, this is logically, but you're going to a little bit. And they said, "Okay, we got it." Mm-hmm. And then they brought him back six months later and they were like, so who has begun to do it? None. Zero of them. And then they said, then they, what they did was they made them imagine themselves at 80 years of age. And they really made them go in deep into imagining and fleshing out that world in their imaginal self. And then it turned out that the people who were able to do that more vividly were the people who really started saving and doing that. And all of them started saving after that, but the people who had the most vivid imagination of themselves at 80 years old in the situation where they saw themselves and wanted to be, they were like, okay, boom, I got habits changed, really started getting into it, really started being financially responsible. Yeah, I've actually done that program. I love it. It's an amazing program. And I would recommend two things to anybody who comes and uh, does my work, and that's Vipassana. And number two Mm -hmm. would be the self-authoring. And literally, that's it. That's the only things I would recommend unless you want to get validation, more information. But if you want a way to implement it, Vipassana, Jordan Peterson, and this technology that I'm teaching, because the age of information, I mean, there's information everywhere. That's like when they when they ask those, you know, young PhDs, do you, you know, here's what you have to do in order to make money or, or become financially free. The information didn't help. It was sitting down and then, you know, creating that emotional context that, Gave it the application, a- applicable reason why we're moved by emotion, obviously. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think, man, I love George Peter. I think it's in the the price point on that thing is amazing. There's so much value from that if someone's My willing to sit goodness. down and do the work. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like something like ten bucks or something crazy like it's that. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can buy that for Christmas presents for hundred people. You know. Oh man, no, I send it to all of my siblings, like anybody who's like wayward or, you know, doesn't know, have no direction in their lives. I'm just like, D- find it, sit there, take some time, write it out, imagine it, enact it, do your thing. Um, so I want, because when you were uh, listening to all the other podcasts, all that stuff, all the stuff I mentioned, Jordan Peterson there, the Vipassana, it kind of hit reminiscence of all of these things. I could, I could feel traces of them in you, in your program. So I, I don't know if you could kind of give a brief, you know, maybe high-level overview of how your program is similar to some of these things or where its inspirations are from, and then also how it differs um, fundamentally. Okay, well, there's really not a lot of similarity other than the fact that it's the application of the information that's shared by these other folks. So, uh, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza has like a 10-day program or a week-long program or something. I was recently at it a couple of months ago just to see what he's doing because it 
I was working with them years ago when What the Bleat came out. Then I dropped out of the industry. Anyway, went back and took a look at it. And I was like, wow, this is Itzhak Bentoff's work. Like, you know, like the first five days is literally chapter one, two, three, four, five in Stalking the Wild Pendulum. Great information. Great information. Um, and it's being implemented here. But what happens when people leave? Not going to be able to implement this information anymore because they're not going to have this construct around them to do that. Right. And, uh, you know, going to Tony Robbins again, the pattern interrupts the neural associations. And I'm not making anything wrong because thank God this, this is giving me some massive shoulders to step on and to be able to look and see something different. Right. Um, Greg Braden, I'm super grateful because the gematria is a fabulous way to say, well, hey, all right. Warner Earhart said, we live in a story. We live in language. You know, you're a meaning making machine. Create a new meaning, create a new story and you'll create a new life. Um, T. Harv Ecker, what you focus on expands. Um, all of this stuff, components are built into the language because, you know, we have that part of our brain, uh, Jan Asser, John Asaroff talks about and many others, the reticular activation system. And, uh, you know, if you drive a red Tesla, you're going to see red Teslas everywhere. Why? Right. Because there's nerve clusters in your reticular activation system that come together once you buy that, own that. Now it means something to you. Now you see these things everywhere. Well, you know, the same thing's true if you get those PhD students that sit down and visualize what their life's going to be like. Now they can see opportunity to save, opportunity to save, going to waste my money, going to be broken old. You know, like those probabilities were already amplified. They just weren't amplified in their awareness because of that emotional contextual model. So I think that's what makes it different. Different is for sure, 100%. You train your brain and your body mind, your emotional body to move towards pleasure, to jump right past that limbic friction that um, Huberman talks about quite frequently mm -hmm. and go straight to producing serotonin, oxytocin, uh, interleukins, get the body to be in a constant state of healing and growth, cut off that addiction to the fight, flight, and freeze model. And you have a new reality. You begin to see everything totally differently. Well, encoded it in this language, and I don't have any challenge whatsoever to, to give you as much as you, you want. I'm happy to tell you that there's uh, over 20 layers, and I can explain layer one if you want, and then if you want, I'll explain layer two. I have no problem sharing all of this stuff because, again, okay. it's the information. The information is nothing. It's the ability to apply it. So right. that's what I want to get people into, but if you want, I'll go for it. I don't want to be overwhelming, though. Sure, we can do that. Um, yeah, let, I wanted to kind of probe you some more, inf um, questions about how you think about, cause when, this is again, initially presented to me from Mayan, um, about expanding consciousness. So actually this is, it's such a, you know, a big question, right? What is consciousness? Yeah, 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 yeah. The hard problem of consciousness as they put it. Um, how are you looking at consciousness? Um, how do you think about it? Uh, just kind of take that from there. Okay. So to begin with, one of the things that I've been noticing a lot between mathematicians and theoretical physicists is that they are going back to the Platonic age, the mm -hmm. age of Pythagoras, and they're saying, you know something? There's just too many of these disciplines that weave together with harmonics, mathematics, geometry, you know, and the same fundamental missing pieces. Where does consciousness come in? And Consciousness is obvious, obviously having an effect on our observed reality, for sure. Mm -hmm. But like the Greeks and others, they just said, forget it. We're going to try to stop. We're going to stop trying to figure it out and just realize we are impacting reality. So leave it at right. that. 
So I think that also, and we can see with mathematicians and physicists today, especially when you hear someone like Eric Weinstein speak, there's, there's a big part of physics that's been like kept from us the last hundred years. And it's frustrating to a man like him. Mm -hmm. I also believe that there's a lot of other stuff that's been kept from us for quite some time as well. And what happens when these things are kept from us? Well, they get false trails that are created to run down instead. And I believe one of those false trails is that consciousness is so difficult to understand. I don't really think it's that difficult to understand. I think my individual consciousness is the 6,000, not 60,000 people keep saying we have about 60,000 thoughts a day. The most recent information from 2020 Queenstown University is about 6,000 thoughts a day. Thank God. Try to imagine monitoring 60,000 thoughts a day. Anyway. No way. If our 6,000 thoughts a day, our self-talk creates our, our consciousness. It creates our awareness. Every, every human being out there has thousands of hours of precognitive commitments to who they are in relationship to the world. And for every one of those hours of precognitive commitments, we have a preconditioned emotional response. So we have these, you know, these mental models and emotional reactive models that are creating our consciousness as an individual. Well, then when we take a look at uh, Richard Dawkins' work or Rupert Sheldrake's work or even Einstein's work to some extent, when we talk about field theory or morphogenetic field theory or the idea of memes, we have pockets of consciousness. We have Catholicism, we have Baptists, we have Islam, we have, these are different pockets of consciousness, but then they also overlap. We have an agreed upon, you know, like we look at the, the four agreements, like, okay, it's a dream. We're living in this dream, but these probabilities that we amplify become solid for us. Max Planck, when he won the Nobel Prize in 1923, I believe it was, in Stockholm, Sweden, he said to the scientific community at the time, he said, hey, the only reason we're sitting on these chairs is because we've all agreed the chairs are there. So that's, you know, a socially agreed yeah. upon reality. So I think that uh, my 6,000 thoughts a day create my consciousness. We have 8 billion people on the planet with 6,000 thoughts a day. That's 48 trillion thoughts that are being sent out into the field to create the consciousness for tomorrow. There are 48 trillion threads that create the tapestry of, the, of reality. 48 trillion seeds that are planting that we're going to be harvesting the fruits of. Uh, 28, 48 trillion, sorry, that's 48 trillion every time I meant to say. 48 trillion prayers that we're, you know, sending out to, to, to bless the future. Unconsciously. They say 95% of our thoughts are mediocre at best, probably negative, and definitely repetitive. Yeah. So let's interrupt this pattern with a conscious, conscious way to rewrite neural networks so I can actually design my own neural networks because whatever I don't use, I'll lose. I'll for sure will atrophy if I'm not using those 6,000 patterns, pathways every day, creating new ones with new associations, totally interrupting my pattern. Oh, you know, it's no different than seeing a virus and having yourself think COVID-19 like that wasn't there right. five years ago it's there now right. you know so you know what I mean right so we can use yeah, exactly. the same technology so, so long answer yeah, I got you. So it sounds like you're kind of using the same procedural mechanisms that uh, I know you're a, a Vipassana uh, a practitioner and kind of similar there because the whole point of Vipassana is like to calm the monkey mind you will sit down, you know, and you'll go and you'll, and you'll, you won't be in the here and now. Your thought will start to go, oh, this is my default mode of thinking. And then you go, you label it and you go, nope. And then you bring it back to the breath. And then it just keeps happening. And it, you know, it's a muscle that you're, you're working on and you're making stronger to being able to control that monkey mind and those 6,000 thoughts and not letting them take control of your life or learning how to direct them. 
um, how you want to. So I'm guessing you're taking that same procedural kind of idea from Vipassana. Man, I love your questions. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thank you so much. And I'm apologizing in advance for the length of time it takes me to respond to them because it's there's not a simple answer. We got a limited time here, man. No worries. Okay. So to begin with, uh, to this is so amazing to me. It's so amazing to explain my perspective as a Vipassana meditator, who's someone who's created a language to change thoughts, to be able to tell you, I'm not a fan of thoughts. I'm not. Yeah. So these 6,000 thoughts that we have a day, about 250 an hour, about four per minute, are actually in loops. And the reason we jump from one to the other is because we go from one loop to the next loop to the next loop because our mind's untrained. So as our mind becomes trained, I can keep one thought going in the same direction on the same loop for a much longer amount of time, which then decreases the number of thoughts I have per day. Let's say if I can have a, my mind's not jumping in a reactionary model all the time. I'm actually observing uh, where my thinking's going and following that path and enjoying the process of it. Maybe I have a thought a minute. Wow. Well, that drops my thoughts down to 1,500 per day instead of 6,000. You know, mm -hmm. that's a big, huge difference. So also, you know, because I, I, as I told you, for 30 years, this is something that I've been working on consciously. After my first Vipassana, I came home and I bought the URL, uh, VipassanaWarrior.com and VipassanaCoach.com because I was like, I am 100% going to master this technology and weave it into what I'm doing. I haven't seen anything as powerful as this ever that complements what I'm doing to optimize the mind, organize its resources, and then bring it all to a focus. You walk out of there, you're super clear what you want to be doing, what you don't want to be doing. Maybe a week or two right. later, if you don't maintain practice, you're back into chaos again but right. you maintain the practice as the buddha said continuity practice is the key to your success um you're gonna rock it so now let me share with you a little bit how this works with vipassana i know we spoke okay. the other day and i told you that i was out uh motorbike riding with my friend and i saw an anchor that said i noticed sensations okay mm -hmm. well why did it say that because in this language i'll share one of the layers uh, zero through nine have a phonetic value added to them okay so two is the sound no that could be pn like pneumonia kn mm -hmm. like knowledge or just an n but it's right. got that phonetic value so one has a phonetic su or za that could be a soft c like city not cat city z is in zebra x is in xylophone not exit because that's a cuss sound so i take one way to create anchors, and there's several ways, I'll share one, is to take the first phonetic sound in two words and then create a double digit anchor. So I notice sensations. The I is a vowel, it's not a phonetic, it's different. The notice is from two, and the sensations is one. 21, I notice sensations. Maybe when this video is uploaded, the 21 can be up there and we can show all that type of stuff. But at right. any rate, so I'm riding motorcycles with this guy and it's been years, like, 30 years almost since I've been riding dirt bikes, which I grew up doing, and I'm 54 years old now. So we're back there, and, and he's a younger man than me, and he's surprised that I'm keeping up with him, and he's like, you know, uh, trying to challenge me a bit. And I notice his license plate, and all of a sudden I'm just like in this mode of taking all the different colors that are around you. Feel the wind blowing against your body right now. Right. The heat of the muffler on this side. Like, get out of your mind, relax, and get into flow. Notice the sensations. And almost for the entire rest of the day, 
I was noticing sensations because I'm levering this language to bring me back to Vipassana. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, another way that works, I just mentioned uh, sensations having the sound suh, suh, suh. Well, the sound for six is ta-da, ta-da, ta-da. Either the D as in like David or ta as in Tom, okay? But both, right. and there's a reason why they're the same, kind of like the suza or the nuh for pneumonia. But at any rate, so when I see 16, it's sit. That's the trigger that anchors sitting in meditation, the imagery and all these amazing emotions, et cetera, et cetera. The 61 going the opposite direction is strong determination. Mm -hmm. So now I'm in this like space of uh, Arik Tong, sitting with strong determination. I'm sorry, 16 is also strong determination. 61 going the other direction is dissolving Sankaras. Mm -hmm. So I have this 6116, 61166 that I see all the time because my reticular activation system sees every double digit number that's out there. But it's, it's, it's working to either, you can make it do whatever you want. It wouldn't logically make sense to create a language to, to decrease thoughts. <laughs> Interesting. So, yep. okay. I had a bunch of thoughts just pop into my head. And I want to try and rephrase how I'm hearing what you're saying. And you let me know what you think about this. Perfect. So, the way I'm hearing it is you're trying to give people these anchors that will help break their frame and bring them back to the moment or to remind them of certain things. Now, I feel like you just went through quite a few mnemonic devices for them to remember these anchors. And then, because what happens is, if we're talking about consciousness, we go talk about, a lot of people talk about qualia, right? And they talk about like, you know, the redness of something or the hardness of it or the height of, you know, whatever it is to decide this um, adjectival qualia of sorts to describe it. And then when people have entered to deep meditative states, like uh, anybody who's been doing this for a long time, like yourself and I, and anyone who is in this takes, maybe take psychedelics, they do this as well, they take a handful of uh, psilocybin, um, is they report basically getting rid of that adjectival qualia. And they are, they have this kind of, um, hereness, this nowness that they embody. So consciousness shifts away from the adjectival qualia to something that's something like an adverbial qualia. Because you're still conscious, you're not blacked out, right? But you're in this space where that labeling of things and that adjective and that, oh, this, that, or thinking of, you know, planning for the future, you're in this adverbial, you know, state. You're in this actionable state of this hereness, nowness, togetherness with everything. So what I'm hearing is potentially you've found a way that to break people out of this adjectival spaces consciousness that's clouding their mind and, and, and enacts the and enables the monkey mind, you're using numbers and symbols as a scaffolding to push them into this adverbial qualia state that they would get in a deep meditative state or on psychedelics that then pushes them to another portion of their consciousness that, again, that adverbial qualia. How does that sound? Sounds like you're a smart man asking good questions. Thank you. <laughs> sure. So, to begin with, um, and I'm going to have to uh, telescope back a little bit to see if I can remember a lot of the things you asked me. One of the things you asked me was the, uh, the time stamp on these. Is it something from the past? Is it from the future? Do you want to interrupt the present? So let, me, mm. let me start with that. That's the furthest thing back I can remember. <laughs> okay. 
you let me know if you, there's other things that if I don't hit them all as we walk down you the got path. It. So there's a lot of benefits to uh, drawing memories from the past. Uh, longevity, epigenetics. Uh, Dr. Ellen Langer from Harvard Medical School took a group of people over 100 years old, put them into an environment to remind them of their 20s. So if I can be remembering times where I'm vibrant, vital, and alive fairly frequently, and I have good emotional connections to that, and it puts me in that space, then I'm gonna, my body's going to mirror the growth factors, stem cell production, uh, telomere length, so forth, that uh, my body was used to at that time. It's going to awaken that memory. And so I want to leverage those types of things. And there's many, many of those types of going into the past to find an emotion, let's say. That's another example. Zero through nine also have an, a set of emotions associated to each one of those numbers, bookended by equanimity on one side, mm -hmm. unconditional love on the other. Why? Because I can have all the confidence, certainty, and belief in something. And at the same time say, okay, cool. I charged it with that. But now let me step back and be equanimous. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to mm -hmm. work with both because I'm not in a monastery. I'm out here doing work in the field. Right. So I got to be able to take these two things, you know, the Vipassana monk and the Vipassana warrior and put them together. All right. Yep. So future. So I know that uh, if I don't have a destiny, a place to be going in my life, a purpose, something that's like, you know, waking me up, inspiring me to get out of bed in the morning, my longevity is going to drop. The quality of my present moment is going to drop. I have to have, you know, like, like, what is it? What am I here for? Come on. So I want to have a certain number of my thoughts that are calling me into this, this bigger space of who I'm stepping into being. Mm -hmm. I got that other one I just told you about that's celebrating the process of where I came from. And then, yes, in that moment, now here we're going to talk about what I believe you wanted to get to was the adverbial. Yeah. That state of action. Okay. So when we look at human needs, human emotional needs, do you know what the six human emotional needs are? Go for it. Okay. So two of them, uh, certainty and uncertainty, right? Uh, so we, we want the uncertainty in life because otherwise life's boring. We want mm -hmm. the certainty of life. Otherwise, it's too dangerous. Yeah. So. When we have these anchors that each person, now oh, that's another piece I'm gonna to touch on. You mentioned my anchors. I don't, I, I give people a bunch of wonderful opportunities to possibly check out some of the anchors I've been working on for you know 30 years. You wanna learn sure. your exit strategy to your financial freedom? Do you wanna know what, how to make investments pay off much quicker using these strategies all collapsed into this number 72? You, you know, so a bunch of people are like, fuck yeah, I definitely want that stuff, you know? But then right. I encourage them, but okay, great. You can have four anchors for 72 fine you know but create your own that have meaning to you so exactly you, you tell them what you tell them what theirs are but then you have them create their own it's kind of like it's i always figured what douglas adam failed to uh uh you know put into the book was that 42 was his number for the meaning of life mm. but not <laughs> ours <laughs> right yeah exactly exactly so uh, i want to just be clear about that everybody has their own thing i just give some ideas about how to use technology for different areas of life so because i crave certainty and uncertainty and because I have learned to believe that I'm having a, a conversation with the universe, if I choose to, I've created a vehicle to have a conversation with the field because I've chosen like psychoneuroimmunology or psychoneuroendocrinology. My belief can affect my immune system. My belief can affect my connection to plants. My belief can affect how I influence water. My belief can affect all these things. So I believe 
I can have a conversation with this larger aspect of myself, the universe. And I'm not coming from an airy-fairy perspective. I'm coming from a non-localized, self-referring, cybernetic feedback loop perspective, which I decide to allow to be a little bit mystical and incredible. So when you say belief, do you, are you, like how are you delineating that? Are you obviously not like propositional beliefs? Um, you know, uh, are you how how are you how are you looking at that? Is it beliefs like your whole body believes it? Um, you're, you know, because when you were talking about just now uh, about the past and the future, you were putting going into what they call in cognitive science uh, per perspectival knowing, in it, using tapping into your episodic memory. Uh, like we talked about with that experiment, Jordan, like I said, mentioned that experiment, Jordan Peterson, about putting yourself when you're 80 years old or putting yourself in that past and remembering yourself in that time and in that place. And then you're, and that's, that's not propositional knowing. That's not, you know, remembering like facts about things or using semantic memory. That's using your episodic memory to then bring up those emotions and renew and activate certain parts of yourself. So many people have asked me because... Uh, they've heard like, wow, you were diagnosed with cancer and you walked out of the hospital and you never went back. How'd you do it? Mm -hmm. I would never say I did A, B, C, D, and this is going to cure you. Why? Because for 100%, I believe that I have, a, I had and continue to have a presupposition in my mind uh, with emotional uh, responses to back it up that I'm in control of my body. And I also have the same belief that if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. But what I'm, what I'm not going to buy into is that uh, the matrix is doing something to me or that I need to take interleukin-2 because I can't produce the regular interleukin in my thymus gland. Uh, and if I can't produce that interleukin behind my thymus gland, which is the equivalent of being excited and in awe of life, then maybe I shouldn't be here. So yeah. I'm, I'm pretty clear on that stimulation samurai perspective that I have. And mm -hmm. so my precognitive commitment to the possibility of having a conversation with the universe is not something I would presuppose would be true for anybody else. But based on, you know, my life experiences and the education that I've given myself, that's the most real thing to me is that like when T.S. Eliot said, you know, when you finally reach your destination, you'll see it with new eyes, but also recognize that it's a place you started from. So right. that's my, uh, my idea of 22, win-win, 22, non-local, a non-local identity, you know? So when I see that, it's continually, continually reinforcing inside of myself that everyone's my mirror. Everything is my mirror. The Native American medicine wheel is a mirror reflective of certain medicines that were, were carried by the field in a paradoxical and sometimes very obvious way. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I don't do a lot of plant medicines. Um, we did talk a little bit about the other day. I shouldn't say a lot. I don't do I don't do heroic doses of plant medicines. <laughs> right. Um, very frequently. In fact, uh, it's probably been a decade. No, 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 that's not true. Probably been at least three or four years since I've done it. It's not super frequent. But those also, they every one of my experiences seems to tie into my my presuppositions I have about my life. So they just keep getting re reinforced on other levels of reality mm -hmm. and you know people will come to me and say hey have you read this book hey have you read that book hey did you check out this series i'm like dude it's always the same stuff right there's not there's nothing really new out there i don't need to keep looking at something for me to believe it i got it i'm, I'm moving on to application of it right do you have a mechanism in in your tool set for 
you know, for example, what you're talking about, you mentioned unconditional love and um, what you mentioned there about feedback loops going into you as, as you see it and it changes you. Um, and I think fundamentally what you're speaking to is the, what makes it real for you is the relationship between yourself and it. So I think having people realize that the objective and subjective is an illusion of sorts and it's really what's alive is the relationship between you and that thing. Um, and, or that other aspect of yourself would be- Or the other aspect, it. yeah, this, inclu this includes endogenous, exogenous. This can go both ways. Um, and the unconditional love, because I think what a lot of people, in, I don't know how it is in DR, but a lot of people in America, they think love is an emotion and it's really an existential state of being. Um, you know, you can be angry if you love someone, you can be, you know, sad, you can be happy, you can have all, it's a, it's a way of being and that way of being that, uh, where you look at somebody uncon the unconditional part is you give them the leeway and the freedom, the liberty to open themselves up, to evolve. You notice them, you reciprocate. And with that reciprocal opening, more of them is opened up. The infinitude of themselves is opened up and you can get deeper into them. So you're constantly learning new things. And as they evolve and transform, you notice it and then you evolve and transform. And this can go with yourself into yourself. It can go with my dog I have here <laughs> at home. Um, it can go into multiple things, but it's about the, the transformative reciprocal opening relationship that you develop between you and other things. Is that, is that kind of where you're going with trying to teach people? Um, well, again, I want to be clear that I'm not really trying to teach people as much as I'm showing people things that I found to be true for myself. Tool sets. Uh, what I'm talking yeah, about. Tool sets. Yes. Yes. And um, as an example, because I have six thousand thoughts today. Right now, I'm staring out at the water. As you were talking, I'm listening to what you're saying, but I'm also sending energy out to heal the ocean. Why? Because I feel like the universe gives us as much as we can manage. I'll give as much money as I can manage. I'll have the, you know, the relationship that I can manage. I'll have the thoughts that I can manage. So part of my belief is how I manage my thoughts each day is going to be uh, indicative of the types of insights that come to me in the future. Like maybe God, creator, the coder, whatever. This like, hey, you know what? This guy's really doing some neat stuff down there. Really, really cool. Let me give him a few more insights. See what he does with them. You know, here's a few more seeds. What are you going to do with these? I'll be back in a year. Let's see if you plant them. You're going to put them underneath your bed. What are you going to do with these things? Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so I think um, I was talking to a young man a little bit earlier, and he said he was getting ready to take off. And people who come to Cabarete are almost always like booking their next flight back before they even get out of here, you know? Right. So he was telling me he's from Sweden and he says, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get back to my girlfriend. I've really missed her. This place is amazing, but she's also amazing. And I said, well, bro, I got a question for you. How good can you stand it? What if she was here? And he's like, whoa, whoa. He's like, that's a great question, man. I was like, yeah, that's a question. More and more people should be asking themselves more and more frequently. How good can I stand it? Because yeah. you're going to become good at creating beauty. You know, so I guess to, uh, to sum it all up, that uh, the, the emotion of like unconditional love uh, from my perspective or not the emotion, the state of being of unconditional love is realizing we're creators. 
We are creators. I can go yeah. whatever direction I want to go any moment in time. I can have, you know, it's also like you were saying, um, you know, we can be present for somebody in their process of evolution, but we can also be present to let someone go in their process of evolution. Mm-hmm. We can also be, you know, uh, blessed is he who enters the valley of darkness for he's truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. We can go spend time with prostitutes in the bar in, in like, man, I'm bored. I want to go see if I can bring some light somewhere, you know, or right. my partner's not appreciating me right now. I want to go somewhere where I feel appreciated. Let me do some good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Very true. That's a, I guess that's the thing about evolution. It's it's never it's not exactly a linear progressive thing. It can go any ever any direction that it can possibly go, just based on the environment, external or internal, that you are in. That's you the know, way I it think goes. Anthony Kiedis, uh destruction leads to a very real place, but it also breeds creation. Yeah. Tidal waves can't save the world from Californication. So it's like, you know, destruction is always part of the creation process. Almost always. Mm-hmm. Almost always. Yeah. 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 I, I was even going to say, when you were talking about, about Vipassana earlier, you know, I think we talked on uh, offline before about, uh, I, I mentioned opponent processing, and that's why doing Vipassana and meta contemplation as one, because they help complement each other and they create checks and balances um, on each other. And part of Vipassana, Part of the monkey mind of getting distracted and thinking about other things is that it actually brings variation in. You know, it actually like I I might be stuck on one way of thinking and my monkey mind will go off and it'll all, you know, and most of my various thoughts, they die upon arrival. They just don't make it all the way. And then a few just kind of come into my purview. I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. But you don't need endless variation. Endless variation is chaos. And so it's the balancing act. It's the check and balance of being like, okay, I have this variation and I thank you for that thought. And this seems relevant and important to what I'm doing now. So I'm going to take this instead of just allowing the chaos to spill through, you kind of control the valve, but you still want the valve there to let the variation because that's how things evolve is through variation, mutation, and, you know, then adaptation to, to your environment, internal or external. Yeah. So I would love to hear uh, some of the insights or breakthroughs or maybe just like whatever epiphanies you, you've had while in, in Vipassana. Sure. You don't mind. You don't mind. Yeah. Um, okay. So one of them was that about variation and that I was, when I was first in that, I was thinking that I got to get rid of this. I got to, I got to kill this monkey. You know, I got to <laughs> eat the monkey's brains like they do and uh be totally you know inside of it and then i realized the monkey was helping me um and then what i realized is that you know your what makes me intelligent is not my ability to uh find what is relevant but it is my ability to ignore things and that's because everything around me there's too much and the monkey is the monkey knows that the monkey's bringing in everything that it gets this this is just combinatorially explosive that the monkey's bringing in all the time and if i were to try to sort through that i would be sitting in one place till i died um just trying to comprehend all of that and so what makes me intelligent is my ability to ignore most things and to hone in and to hone in on what is important and relevant to me um so that that was a that was a big epiphany for me um but and then controlling that valve because I do need him to bring in stuff because like you said about insight and about frameworks, maybe I got the wrong frame. And that's the reason that we do Vipassana is because we're stepping back from our framing of the world to see, 
do I have a smudge on this? Am I framing it incorrectly? How am I labeling this? How am I thinking about this? Right? That's one of the reasons to do it. And so that, that point of breaking that frame, I do need the variation in there to break that frame. And people will talk about it in meditation like it just pops up, the idea pops up. And that's also part of being in the flow state, like you mentioned, where you're at a thing where you are in that adverbial state. You're in that here-ness, now-ness. And it's just challenging enough, and it's just difficult enough, but it's also something that you're familiar with. You know the procedure of it, that you can grasp at it, and it's just beyond your reach, and you're in that flow. And then there's false versions of this flow, like people play video games, right? the video game addiction we see across with kids. My brother is one of these people. And he gets involved in this, and it's a false flow state because he goes in because he can't integrate it into his real life. So he goes out of the video games, and he wants to get back into it because it gave him a flow. And he's not able to do that in his normal life. And the flow state is where you're always on the cusp of something, and then you can help break frame, get an insight, find out what's more relevant, see things you were missing, all these kind of things. And I told him to try meditation that he could integrate that into his real life instead of trying to escape into a false simulated version of it in these games. Um, so that was just a couple naming there, a couple of insights I had. Bro, that's amazing. The, uh, we don't give enough credence to our ability. I mean, supposedly from what I heard, like Human beings take in less than a billionth of the information that's around us at any moment in time. Yet, what it can take in is trying to take in as much as it can, right? How does this apply to my life? Well, I've never heard it framed in that way of, I want to get good at, like, not taking so much of this crap in. That's a really great, that's something that I'm probably going to create an anchor for to remind me, and this is how the technology works, is that if some insight I were to get from a book or a podcast or whatever, I'm like, wow, that's that's great. I want to make sure I integrate this now into my life. Let me create an anchor mm -hmm. for it that I'll be seeing when I least expect it, which is the uncertainty. Right, right. And then, but I'm certain it's going to be something good. Right. So it's got yeah. both. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's exactly. amazing, though. Um, that's really, in fact, that's a, uh, I can, my mind's already starting to kind of like the, uh, the fusion, like 26 lasers are looking at this from all these different ways right now of the, the massive power that comes from looking at what are all the things that I, I really don't need to be taking in right now that are distracting yeah. my creative potential. Well, isn't, isn't that how life evolved? I mean, all, all these animals, all humans, they pay attention to their environment and they evolve to navigate it. And they evolved enough that they can navigate it by by finding what's relevant to them to find to find food to find to find sex to find to, to avoid predators to all of all of these things and it's so it's it's this it's this uh, relevance machine and because the world itself like this I'll just hold it up right like this lighter I can look at this from multiple different angles I can think about it in multiple different ways you know. What was the brand? Where was it manufactured? How many how many copies of it are there? What color is it? How do they make the splint inside? There's the bottom. It's just combinatorially explosive. Even this little thing, but I can't comprehend it. And everything is like that. So how in the world could we ever? You know, we we, we have a great app. We like said you have a, we have a great avatar, but we still have we still come from a lineage of you know of these other creatures up to a certain point and we've gotten to a certain aspect and if we want to go beyond it we have to find what's relevant and keep expanding out but there's a lot of junk that's irrelevant we'll waste our time 
A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. Probably, <laughs> probably most of our social models are completely broken. I mean, if you look at medicine, I'm... politics, warfare, uh, philosophy, uh, banking, I mean, you look at any of it, the root of it all, and it's just like, it's garbage. This is yeah. garbage. You know? Well, I think their modeling for it is garbage. So, like, you know, let's take the medical system, for example. Like, it's, it's, humans because of this inability and they and they get confused or they get maybe anxiety due to this combinatorial explosion of, of complexity of life that they've always tried to take stuff that's complex and make it complicated so that they can manipulate it they can shove it down into a thing which like just totally detracts from a lot of the beauty of it and also makes it less functional it makes it more compressed like listening to music at a concert on instruments versus on an mp4 is a totally different thing for you know for your ears and your neurological reactions. So, like the medical industry, for example, it's it's again it's based on this industrial me- mechani- mechanistic model of it's very siloed by experts, right? It's and those experts don't really talk to each other. So, if I have a problem with my skin, with my brain, with my heart, with my you know uh, ind- you know endocrinology system, I go to this person, blah, 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 but they don't talk to each other. It's not actually like an organic biological organism which just talks to it, each other. And we're stuck in this system, even corruption aside, fucking financial incentives aside, and all the bullshit that comes on top of that system, just the structure of the system is horribly set up. Right? And I think it's, yeah, it's all these people trying to cram this stuff into this mechanistic model. And I think um, probably one of the, and you see them kind of evolving towards more of a biological model, but in a weird way, um, like these neural nets that they use for AI, this neural mapping and language learning, it actually is becoming more biological in some ways. It's still a very inferior model to what we're running. Um, you know, people are trying to buy studying complexity science as a new science. It used to be called chaos theory back in the 80s, I think. Um, but people, as they study that, they're starting to try and model this and model complexity more so that we can maybe create things that aren't so stunted and aren't so mechanistic in what we're doing. And I think that uh, everything you said is 100% right. And, and one of the primary components is the presupposition that the body can heal itself being the backbone of medicine. Because there is not that presupposition there, all of those pieces are going in the wrong direction anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They, 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 they're trying to treat your body like it's fragile when it's anti-fragile, as Nassim Taleb would say. Yeah. Or, or capable of getting stronger through adversity. That's, that's what anti-fragile means. Okay. So anti-fragile, <laughs> so, no, no, no worries. Yeah, it's, just a, it's a term, I don't know if you know Nassim Taleb, uh, he's a weird uh, Lebanese thinker, throws out a bunch of heuristics here and there, but he has a term anti-fragile, which means something that gets stronger through adversity. It's not robust. It's not fragile. It's anti-fragile. It's and he uses the immune system as the number one example of that. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. So I wanted to. We talked a little bit offline too, and I wanted to kind of maybe flesh this out a little bit more. I, I these are not my ideas. It's from cognitive science, and see what you think of them and how maybe um, I kind of mentioned a little briefly. Um, already in this podcast, but how you think about them and how you may be working some of them to your model and what you're working on. So there is, um, there's the, they, they talk about in cognitive science, four ways of knowing things. Have you heard about this? 
you know what? You may need to give me a definition for each one of these ways. I don't know. You got so it. Let's, let's okay. With it. Okay. You got it. So it is, it is propositional knowing and it is like the way that you would know um, a cat is a mammal, okay. right? Water is H2O. You know these kind of facts and that runs in your semantic memory. How you recall, like I would, I, you know, I could say to you, for example, like, how, how, how do you know that a cat's not a snake? And you'd be like, well, I just fucking know it. <laughs> and it, but that's part of your propositional knowing of could be cultural information, you know, that you're downloaded with and you have that's, that's in your head there. Um, then there is procedural knowing, which affects your procedural memory, as they say in neuroscience. And that is something like how to ride a bike, how to swim, how to bake a cake, how to kiss a person, all these kind of mechanical procedural things that you do. Okay. Then you have perspectival knowing, which is what I talked about earlier when I was bouncing around about the past future thing, where it engages your episodic memory, right? It's, it's about time and place. You know, what, remember, please remember your seventh birthday, for example, and it'll take you back to that time and place um, and, how, and how you were then. And then you have what's called participatory knowing, which engages what is called the self and basically self meaning your identities and the roles you assume or the roles other people assign to you and how and how it interacts with the environment really on a very physical level um so like for example how, how it reacts through magnetism or gravity or all these things um is is the bottle graspable is the is the road walkable is the this you know and all these kind of affordances that are allowed to you to interact with your environment to then be have you know actionable steps to manipulate it or use it or work with it in some way so there's these different types of knowing and they all kind of feed forward and backward into each other and it seems what today is what's being prized most of all is this propositional type of knowing right this whole theoretical hypothesis you know i think this and i believe like this way of thinking and you see this coming mostly from you can see it in the culture wars from the laptop class of people the virtuals i call them they are coming at everything through a narrative lens they're coming at everything from uh, we if we change the words if we change the narrative we change ha 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 gotcha you know and, and you're like well you don't change that river there <laughs> you know um and you're not the one making your sandwiches you're not the one shoveling the shit you're not the one doing do you have, i break it down to the fir, the virtuals and the physicals in society and there seems to be this way of trying to solve problems that is purely set in the propositional. And then you have the rubber hits the road when you butt up against stuff physically, either participatorily. So think of like theoretical science versus experimental science. Experimental science is participatory knowing. Theoretical science is propositional. And there seems to be, it's not that propositional is not needed or it's not good. It's great. It just seems to it's be. Not it's, proof. it's not proof. It's not primacy. It's not prime. Right. And, and, and what you said earlier about uh, Werner and going, you know, about narrative, narrative is a very important part of life. It's how we ascribe meanings. It's how we relate to each other. But there's certainly points where you go post-narrative, where you enact and engage with all those other types of knowing. And you need the narrative as a bridge to get there. But it's not the end, end-all, be-all. And I think this is what the postmodernists have incorrect and why they're trying to constantly focus on that and that's all there is like everything's a social construct certain yes certain things are social constructs <laughs> but not everything 
And, you know, yeah. Give so, me an yeah. example of what wouldn't be a social construct, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so what is not a social construct, you can have, I mean, the basic RNA messaging, messenger RNA that you're dealing with. Um, you have certain aspects of you. And again, it's not a social construct because it's not just something made up, meaning you can't, you can't construct it out of something. It is manipulable if you have the right tools. But it's not like the way they say gender is a social construct. It's like, is it? I mean, partly, yes. Temperament of your gender, how you express your gender, yes, that's partially a social construct. I totally agree with that. But there are also certain ways that we've evolved where, you know, everybody says nature versus nurture, and it's always, the answer is always both. <laughs> right? So these things are intertwined, um, and you can, you can change some to the other ones by changing. You can affect one by changing the other one, but you're still dealing in a world where these two things are intertwined. All right. Ask me a question. See if I can figure this out. <laughs> so my question is, of those four types of knowing... How, like, do you see, like, it, you know, given, given those little examples, do you see where, where your autobiography feedback, where does it go into or how does it activate those different types of knowing? How does okay. it go across the spectrum? Okay, well, geez, Louise, I can't even tell you the, the names of those four quadrants right now. So let me just answer your question <laughs> in a way in which I think we'll, we'll, we'll get to where I'm supposed to be going. Okay. Real quick, propositional, procedural, perspectival, participatory. Okay. Just a reminder. I don't know if that triggers anything. Go ahead. Okay. So I think the uh, part of the body-mind that understands what fires together, wires together, would be, part of, would be in the propositional, correct? Um, the embodiment of the pattern interruption, you know, cruising out of my house and all of a sudden I, you know, maybe I just got off the phone with uh, somebody that's got, you know, 2 million followers on Instagram and mm -hmm. I was they were saying like, Hey man, I really want to market your program. What kind of affiliate thing can you set up with me? Da, 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 da. And I said, I don't know, let me get back to you. So I leave the house and I decided to go shopping and I roll out and I see, you know, an anchor that says exit strategy and sales goals, which is 1881, 1881. It's like, Oh yeah, my exit strategy is to get this number of sales. Da, 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 da. And in order to do that, I got to sales goals and reach this. Da, 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 da. So that would become the, you know, the, the embodiment aspect of it or quadrant four, if I understand mm -hmm. correctly, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, tie me back in. What are the two in the middle? The, the letter so you, I think what most people use the most is the procedural and perspectival in their daily lives. So like procedural just meaning how you do things, how you bake a cake, how you swim. You have all these built up procedures uh -huh. or skill sets that you use on a daily basis that you've learned. Um, and then perspectival is being able to like, Perspectival could be me being able to empathize with you and put myself in your shoes. Yeah. It could be me have an episode of where I remember when I was younger or, or think of myself in the future. Right. So, um, do you have a, uh, you don't mind me asking, do you have a, a current romantic partner? No. Okay. Uh, remember the last time you did? Did you ever get in an argument with him? No. <laughs> yeah, inevitably. Okay. <laughs> so, let's say like uh, some. You're, you get your pattern interrupted. So morning, you wake up, you do your breathing exercises, your meditation, you're having a great day, and all of a sudden your partner comes in and she's in a just a horrible mood or whatever. And you're like, dang, what the heck? You try to respond, they're not listening, and they just get like more, it gets more and more heated. And you're like, okay, whatever. So having this language is wonderful because I can say, you know what, I'm going to go to the gym and work out because if I work out, I'm going to feel better. Great. So I hop outside and then I tell myself, you know what, on the way to the gym, as I'm on my moto, Every car that drives by, I'm going to take a look at the license plates that come up. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know what those are going to be, 
But I'll tell you what, I'm going to be feeling a heck of a lot better before I get to the gym than I would by just simply going to the gym. Because I know I can use this procedure to interrupt my pattern. And, and one of the things I haven't mentioned is what the anchors are for each individual number. I haven't answered what the questions are that are for each individual number, what the emotions are for each individual number, what the images are for each individual. So there's all of this context that will come back and blow my mind away and bring me back to simple things like, hey, the obstacles are the way. Which way are you growing right now because of this is happening? Are you inviting your masculine when you're allowing and holding space for her to be in her chaotic feminine? There's a ton of things that could be going on that I'm using this technology, all of these different technologies I've lose from uh, Satyan Raja, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, what a gray, whatever his name was, I forget, but he was the monk that was talking about men are from Mars, uh, women are from Venus, uh, yeah. using all of this stuff that I learned in the past that are in my anchors right now that I can begin to like, okay, I'm, I'm creating that change inside of myself, creating my change inside of myself, creating that change inside of myself. Now I get to the gym, my like, cool, I'm working out, I'm feeling great. Might get home and my partner's like, Hey, you know, I'm really sorry. Or whatever but the nice thing is is i let that go a long time ago i have a procedure in place that allows me to take knowledge that i understand and get me to an embodiment of a result that i know is really in alignment with who i'm who i'm here to be otherwise i wouldn't have coded those things into my autobiographical feedback to bring me back to who am i declaring to be in my life what am i here to create is it being conflict no no you know yeah exactly now the way i the way i frame it is like i see people as forces of nature so, like, for example, if I were to go out one day and it's storming like crazy and the wind's blowing and I'm just, you know, bearing through it, going eyes squinted, pushing ahead, head down, like in the body posture that I'm like pushing through this thing that's water on me. The minute I get into the next place, I just go, oh, I sh- you know, that's it. Okay, cool. Now we're in another place. I don't go, oh, that wind. I can't believe that wind. That wind just really, like, oh, how could you even think about doing this? So, you know, I don't assign that to the wind and the same thing with other people they're they have their own pasts they have their own traumas they have their own stuff they have whatever uh their own patterns that they're manifesting um and they're a force of nature in and of themselves so they come out and i'm like you know also if i'm in the wind i get out of the wind <laughs> so i'm like oh oh the storm's here Shoop. yeah and then you're yeah, done forget about it well, I hope that answers your question. That's I think I hit totally. three of those four. I think I hit yeah, three yeah, four. yeah, yeah. You know, so because I, I think the way, the way I'm treating your program now, I'm, I'm asking all very roundabout manners and taking it from different lenses of you know cognitive science, psychology, all these kind of different things. Um, but I'm I'm treating it like uh, we would ask questions about AI. All right, we have the inputs, we have the black box where you know things happen, all that comes together, blah, 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 and then we have the outputs. And I think I'm trying to get into the black box area because I can see what you mean by the inputs and I can see what you want to accomplish by the outputs. You're hoping to, but what is the, what's happening in, in, inside of that box? And that's why I was saying earlier about you using the numbers as like a state change mechanism where it's a scaffolding to that more adverbial state of the here-ness, the now-ness. And you can use those anchors that you have, you create for yourself by learning to do it. And then those help because if you're stuck in your semantic memory in that propositional and you're using that adjectival state of describing things constantly instead of feeling and being here with things, then you need some scaffolding to that. And that's what I was trying to get at. Where are the inputs, outputs? How are you 
going in between and connecting those things so you can transition people more easily in their daily lives, kind of like a walking meditation of sorts, you know, transition them to, to being in these states so that so, they can uh, improve themselves. A, a walking meditation is a good example. Another one I would say is a living vision board. Okay, um, yeah. Knowing that you have this living vision board around you all of the time for your, the rest of your entire life. And another thing I think that I blend into this moving beyond the cognitive and moving into the theoretical physics of why do probabilities amplify in physical form in this holographic frame that I'm that I'm looking through my holographic headset? Why do these things pop up where they do? Well, it's because I've got the connections inside to make them happen. If I didn't have those connections inside, I wouldn't be experiencing what I'm experiencing outside. There was a couple of tests. I'll share one of them real quick. They took little baby mm -hmm. cats and they didn't even have their eyes open yet and put blinders over them, have them walk in a, a circle on a carousel eating and shitting in, the, in that circle. Then when they took the blinders off, all they showed them was vertical lines. And then after a couple of months, they put them into a room with horizontal horizontal bars and they couldn't even see them. They were just like banging their heads in them because they hadn't created that neural fabric to say that these things exist. Yep. So when I'm uh, proposing to someone else create a, an epic story, to, I'm, I'm also asking them to consider the fact that they might be constructing that in physical reality as they are their pattern is being interrupted you know like as, mm -hmm. as we change the way we look at things the things we look at change well maybe it's going to take a little while to like when's the last time somebody's felt financially secure you have to go back and say okay you want to create financial independence or financial security or financial freedom let's go back to a time when you felt that way and we're going to take that emotion and put that into that anchor now right. you've also got your own individual anchor or emotions that come with those particular anchors which we're going to blend together and call emotional alchemy and the nice thing is, is all of these different ones are positive. And then they also come with that attribute of unconditional love as well as the attribute of equanimity with it. So we're drawing from the past, putting it into the future. And we're saying that this, somehow you tuned into that in the past. Mm -hmm. More than likely it had something to do with a state of being or a past karma or uh, something that led you to that spot. Right. If it disappeared. You weren't appreciating it. You weren't in awe of it. You weren't holding that space long enough, whatever it was, let's work on holding that space longer next time. Let's practice until it arrives again, actually. So that when right. it does arrive, you're like, oh my God, I created this. I'm holding on to this bad boy. One of the things we call it is juggling potential. Can you keep all seven of these areas of your life? You know, your ego and self-image, your physical vitality, your relationships, your finance. Can you keep all of those balls up at the same time? Does one of yeah. them have to fall for you to become do it better in finances? Does one of them have yeah. to fall for your relationships to get better? You know, like, let's get really good at working with how probabilities amplify in our lives and see if we can manage them all at the same time and, and then challenge ourselves, can we make it even better? You know? Right. Go exactly. Yeah. And everybody's going to come at this, you know, from a different background of like, yeah, they can juggle all seven or maybe they can juggle six out of the seven and then they throw in the seven. Some people will be able to juggle one right now at the time and then they have to really get good at that and then they can move on to the next one. Um, yeah, I can I can see a lot of room and flexibility for, for work all across the spectrum of different individuals with different backgrounds here. Is that, you know, no matter where you're coming from, yeah, take one ball. Here you go. You can do that. See if you can do that. And once you can do that, um, coming back to Jordan Peterson, what does he always say he used to do with a lot of his clients was he gives the example of if somebody is like has a, let's say, a phobia of elevators, right? And then he goes, all right, 
let's go to an elevator. Oh, you can't do that? Okay. So what we're going to do is, can you draw me a picture of an elevator? Like, you reduce it down to, like, the, the step that they can do. What can they do? At the least they can do. And then you take it up a notch after that. What can you do after that? And then eventually, next thing you know, they're in the elevator riding it up and down. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So when I was leading the military, a lot of the work that we would do was in uh, high elevation uh, challenge courses. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, a lot of guys just happen to be afraid of heights. When, you know, when they get there, they got to overcome that. And to get them to take that next step, I would just like, hey, close your eyes for a second. Think of something you're good at. Just tell me something you're good at. You know, tell me something you'd be willing to die for at the same time. Okay, well, let's put that thing you're willing to die for up at the top. And while you're where you're at right now, think of something you're good at. You know, I want you to imagine inside of your your your, uh, your awareness. Go back to the time when you were doing that thing that you were good at. Okay, what's the thing you're totally committed to and you're willing to die for? Okay, take a step as you're thinking of what you're good at and how easy it is for you to do those. You know, it's like it's just starting to reassociate new new neural associations, creating those connections can be done by anybody. And the mm-hmm. cool thing is, the cool thing is, is once you understand this technology, you can be able to, you can collapse time and heal trauma super fast, super right. fast. The biggest thing to get out of the way of is that we're victims to something. Yeah. It's like, wait a second, I actually have all of this. Now that I have a system to plug it into, certainly, yeah, my mother never wanted me. She always was mean to me and da, 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 da. Well, let me ask myself a new question. If it wasn't for her being the way that she was, um, would I be the way that I am now? Do I like the way that I am now? What are the amazing things that created who I am now that are because of the way that she was? Can I start to tie those two together? And every time I see this anchor, it's like, thank you. Thank right. you. Like, awesome. Awesome. Do I have a belief that maybe we had an agreement before we came here? Maybe you're not aware of that agreement. That's okay. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. You know, so now if, I, if you don't mind, because I haven't done this yet, I would love to share the, the, the mission for this work go for it okay yeah so based on what we know about uh, critical mass tipping point hundredth monkey uh things along those lines uh, what we know about social engineering what we know about the number of thoughts that we have per day and how to reach that critical mass how mm-hmm. quickly cellular regeneration takes place inside of the gi tract and the heart and the replaceable cells of the brain we know that somewhere between six and nine months most or 20% or more of those cells in the brain, heart, GI tract have been replaced, which is a critical mass of those cells that are moving in a new direction. If I can get my thoughts, 20% of my thoughts to change for six to nine months, that means that my thinking body technically has the opportunity to start a, a wave front or an avalanche or a phase transition into a new consciousness and way of seeing the world. If I can maintain that for six to nine months, 20% of my thoughts. Now, if I get really good at this and I just keep using it for the rest of my life, for sure, I'm going to create a new consciousness. Mm-hmm. So the mission of this business is, is to help first, you know, show people what's possible. What we know about, you know, Candace Pert's work and Bruce Lipton's work and a bazillion other people's work about cellular regeneration, David Sinclair, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, take what we know about uh, quantum mechanics, holographic brain, Carl Primbrand, David Baum, all of their work double slit experiment, Heisenberg uncertainty principle, entanglement, neuron, uh, mirror neurons, et cetera. How do we use all this stuff with, with field theory, et cetera, et cetera? Can we embed that information? Can we use these technologies of the ancient Greeks and of the Jewish tradition and the Kabbalistic and Torah tradition? And even the same things that Freemasons and Rosicrucians, they're all still using coded cipher numbered languages. Yes. Yeah. super obvious. And when we look at whole brain, like, okay, so 
if I can get that individual and every individual who's done this work in our beta test is like, dude, holy shit, holy shit. I'm having a conversation with the universe outside. My pattern's being interrupted all the time. It's incredible. It's amazing. Yeah. Like amazing. So we know once we have our hard launch, we have the opportunity to leverage things like social media and algorithms and so on and so forth to work towards getting 20% of a population, let's say like Rwanda is, an, is a conversation that uh, we've been having with uh, Mayan recently. You know, if they had, if they bought into it and said, hey, we're going to give 20% of our population or 100% of our population this program for free, have them, you know, go through it for six months, you know, instead of, you know, uh, yeah, go through it for six months, working on collective visions that have to do with solving the, the challenges of Rwanda as a whole. And then also oh. creating those types of anchors, as well as anchors for the individual to take care of Maslow's hierarchy and needs to start to really focus on using this. Well, the nice thing about it, and again, I haven't shared any of this, any of the uh, technology with you yet, but I'm going to share digits one through five, just the declarations. Why? Okay, because the declarations are uh, basically how to solve any problem. Number anchor one, what I focus on expands. Oh, by the way, this is a this is a wrap too. Anchor two, when I ask the right questions, my dreams come true. Anchor three, reality. It's maybe when we agree. And anchor four, I'm flexible for sure. Anchor five, rhythmic drive will bring my dreams to life. So what's that mean? Do we have our as our community or me as an individual I have a challenge in my life that I want to focus on to solve this Maslow's hierarchy needs someplace like Rwanda, where I say, okay, this is what I want to focus on. Great. Number anchor two is ask the right questions. What are 20 ways that I can solve this challenge right now? Now I got 20 new, 20 new ways. Okay, again, let's go back to the month. I'm going to ask those, ask myself to sit down each day. Let's see, I'll do five answers a day for a month. I'm going to have 150 ways I can solve this challenge. Do you think you're probably going to solve that challenge a lot faster by using this technology? And then anchor three, creating agreements with other people, how this can be done. And anchor four, being flexible in your approach and understand the obstacle is the way. And anchor five, learning how to get really good and set of causes into motions by taking simple steps that isolate energy, optimize resources, and organize intelligence. So you can take mm -hmm. a simple step in less than 90 seconds that so you know sets that cause in motion. If you get really good at just steps one through five with just the declarations, humanity can solve a lot of problems. We just get good at that. And every time you see Anchor 1, is what I focus on expands. Anchor 2, got to ask the right questions. Of course. I don't need right. to ask ChatGPT. I need to ask myself. All the right. answers are with it, you know? So gotcha. thank you for letting me share that. So getting 20% of the global population to be able to do this would be like the Aaron, the Eric Berry, pie in the sky, aiming for the stars mission. That if people could catch on and realize this is an open source technology that anybody can use and put it in their own language, why wouldn't we want to train ourselves to move towards pleasure, solve massive amounts of problems, collapse time, and understand that we're not really looking for things. We're looking for the feelings those things give us. So we can, like, get there really quick mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if we're not distracted by a bunch of bullshit all the time. Yeah. So that, that brings up to my mind asking about uh, strategy of implementation on it. Um, as you just mentioned, taking it somewhere like Rwanda and having them maybe put it in their schools or something like that and teaching a group of people uh, for a six-month period. And then also you're introducing, obviously, at the market level where people, those who are interested, can come and, you know, take your course. And it goes like more of like a bottom-up. And so there's like the top-down and then there's the bottom-up. Now, um, I know it's not a completely new language because you're using devices to play off of languages and that's why you can translate it to different languages because you're not exactly creating a whole new you know, language with its own thing in there. You're uh, attaching yourself to a language. 
and using the symbolism and the numbers and things to then uh, co-opt that to expand and to anchor and to set people on the correct path. So, or on a path, let's just say, um, to expanding themselves. And top down, it's difficult because if you th if you think about if you're trying to create more self autonomy and self governance and actual problem solving, this is things that we constantly complain about with our governments is they suck at problem solving. They can't come together. They don't actually come up with solutions that work. And when they do come up with solutions, they just no make money. things worse. They make things worse. Or yeah, they just throw money at it. And then even and actually when it doesn't work, that's when they throw more money at it because they've already created it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Solving so, the problem doesn't make any money. Right, exactly. And then there's the there's the pressure of they have the hill, they have the power. And and so, you know, if you think of it like a hill and then like a hill of a fitness hill, as they would say in evolution, like this. And then you have this like vibrating stuff at the periphery down by in the valley, and it comes up in a new innovative thing, whether it be a physical technology or a social technology, and it comes up, and then they have a filtration system they've built up for what they allow through when they allow it through. Um, and people like in you know like for example in the Ru Rwanda, say what you will about Paul Kagame, he's a dictator, and you also have you know our old oligarchs there in the U.S. and other places. Do you foresee like their filtration systems are very strong? Do you foresee that this would this is more of a bottom up discrete phase shift, maybe percolating through intentional communities or individuals dispersed and decentralized throughout different places? Or do you actually see opportunities for people who are in these incentive landscapes of holding on to this and controlling this filtration system, actually putting this to be a top down thing? So, man, just great questions. Appreciate it. A um, couple of things. First of all, I believe that everybody who's into human development, that when they find out about this, is going to be like, I mean, Tony, Joe, everybody's going to have to change their approach. They're going to have to because we're introducing something that's, I'm introducing something that's, it really leaves everything else in the dust. There's no reason to go see another quote unquote. It's almost like a motivational speech now. It's like, why would I do that? I can't apply it. I mean, unless, unless I take this other technology there and start, you know, can you stop so I can encode this in real quick? Like, give me something I can take home so I don't have a suntan that fades away. I want to be able to like actually create real transformation. And that's not to say there's not real transformations. I don't want to go there because massive positive impact comes out, but it's not enough, not a fast, and it's not as uh, long lasting, which all that mm -hmm. can be improved. I also want to throw out there right now, I'm introducing a Model T. Someone else is going to come along and make a Tesla out of this stuff for sure. For sure. So uh, at some point, everybody who's into peak performance, biohacking, uh, human development, whatever it may be, longevity, whatever, is going to say, well, fuck. Finance, whatever it is. I know my thoughts. You know, Do I have the mind of a millionaire? No. Well, change my fucking thinking. Do I want to live longer? I got to change my thinking. I'm creating 6,000 chemicals inside of my body a day. Do I want to be happy in my relationship? I need to change my thing. People are going to start to realize that what's at cause is thought. That's at cause. Certainly, we got to change third dimensional reality and work our way down. I got to be nice to my partner. I got to save my money. I got to do these types of things. But at base is interrupting those patterns of thought and recreating new ones with new emotions. So I believe in the human development industry, it's just going to start to proliferate out. I believe when we start to look at uh, holistic medicine, it's going to begin to proliferate out. And as I'm doing my marketing right now, I'm starting with some really goofy marketing, to be honest with you. And it's going to be something like numerology, 
synchronicities and the language of enlightenment. Okay. Or right. numbers. So the people are like, oh, I like numbers, you know, angel numbers or whatever, you know, like they'll get in me like, holy fuck, look what this thing is. And they're going to start telling other people. And it's going to start spreading. Like, it's going to be much bigger than what they thought it was. Okay. Mm-hmm. By the way, we haven't talked about Plato yet. Um, yeah. And um, so when I'm doing my marketing right now, I'm thinking like, I just got to find a spot and start. And then it's going to go from there eventually. I've also had a ton of people tell me, Dude, if you're not careful, you're going to get yourself killed because there's a lot of energy that goes into creating uh, social constructs and mental models and uh, all of these algorithms and, and the uh, polarization of cultures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That not only are you interrupting, but you're showing how it's done and showing how you can do it to yourself and giving great examples like President Bush saying that we're going into Iraq. You know, it's like, He's doing all this pacing and leading in uh, neuro-linguistic programming, getting people to agree. Oh, hell yeah, we're not going to let this happen. Oh, hell yeah, we're not going to. Oh, yeah. It's like, we're going to Iraq? Okay. It's like, just pulled everybody right down this this path, right? Right. And so people can start to see like, wow, I see all this stuff is constructed now that I'm using it on myself. Cool. Now that I know how to actually use that information because even someone who goes to like a neuro-linguistic master practitioner a couple week course or something they get home they're not using it what are they going to use it for what are they going to use it for you know it's like i have all this great information if i look up to the left look up to the right look down at this great it's great information how do i use it well let's show you how to use it let's show you how to use it yeah yeah i got you so you're you're hitting the holistic communities first with the numerology and, and stuff like that and anybody who's into that, and so you, you, so I, I, I could definitely see a gateway there because you're going in, and you know, all, all, most intentional communities and most of the uh, people who form these things who would be right away first clientele, first mass like people to uh, mass adopters would be people in those communities, one hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's it, and you get a ground, you get a foundation, and then you, you know, get it in and shoop. And then we, because all it is, is just, you know, everybody has their own metaphorical language, right? Christians have them, uh, Muslims have it, Jewish people have it, Kabbalists, Sufis, you know, Taoists, Buddhists, everybody, secularists, everybody's got their own way of describing the same things that everybody describes. So marketing is just rewording that stuff to fit the metaphorical language of the target audience that you're trying to get it. You're not saying anything different. You're just like, Oh, well, this is how you describe it, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I, I get where you're going with that. Okay. Any any what, so what are the future plans for how to what's what's the next target group? How, how are you going to level this up? So I'm kind of trusting that uh, as the world is experiencing more and more pain, um, great leaders are going to emerge who are tired of standing by on the on the on the sidelines and uh, not willing to elect idiots anymore. And who are going to step up and say, you know what, I'm a reluctant leader, which is usually the best type of leader. It says, I just can't, mm-hmm. I can't do this anymore. That's and the best that, kind of leader. That's oh. the best kind of leader, right? Yeah. So I, I'm imagining when those leaders begin to stay, take the stage, that, that they're going to be, they're going to be see things in a linear perspective as well as a holistic contextualized perspective and understand that, you know, super important that we start to deal with thoughts and creating agreements and an understanding from behind the board because, we are, this is the next revolution. Like, I think Jordan Peterson said, uh, AI is like the Gutenberg press. Is like, how big yep. is this as far as a, a you know, a shockwave? And um, as we head 
on this 25,920 year cycle heading back towards our galactic center where they say we're heading back into the light and you know getting closer to whatever which i believe is true i believe like we reached our elliptical distance where we we're fragmented and now we're starting to collapse and come back towards the center that we are going to naturally gravitate of a more unified babylon one language understanding the power of intention understanding the human uh creative potential and and just going to want to you know, these leaders are going to say, let's start to incorporate some of these things and get everybody on the same page. It doesn't make any sense to have uh, all of this unorganized intelligence because at the base of it all, the building blocks for everything in reality right now is our, our thoughts and emotions, you know, then yeah. our words and our actions. So yeah. we're evolving into that space where it's becoming more acceptable. I'm seeing it on more podcasts with people like, you know, we're not dealing with cause. I'm like, damn, I got to get on that guy's podcast. You know, like... <laughs> because everybody's just reacting to what's being presented before us with this technology there's a lot of reactions to this and, and people are people while they can maybe can't some a lot of people can't articulate it they're intuiting it and they're feeling like this is not good or this is leading us down a wrong path and so people like you said the, the pressure points i can see it even just in something like education so many more people are homeschooling now so many of these i'm in the u.s so it's like in the u.s all these like charter schools are popping up like crazy you just avoid the public education system different people trying to do different ways to get you out of the current system to, to you know, alternative ways physically safer exactly yeah exactly yeah it's basically like a prison for children nowadays it's ridiculous okay i got you so Oh yeah, I, I agree that these these people will eventually pop up and do things. What's interesting to me is like technology can go different ways. Um, a lot of times in OYA, what we talk about um, is the indigenous way of seeing the world versus the like maybe more traditional like Judaism, Islam, Christianity way of seeing the world. And this is to segue into Plato since we haven't talked about it yet. Um, but the you know if you have this you have this kind of Platonic. Um, way of reality all encompassing ouroboros all connected indigenous thing that's going on or old greek way of thinking about it and then you have the gnostic uh judaism islam christianity all the big boys the two world theorem like the separate the god up here earth down here kind of thing um and one one of the attributions to how that happened was through the the plow in agricultural revolution so you have have you heard this theory before no no, no. So this, this comes from this comes from Ken Wilber. Do you know Ken Wilber? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is Ken Wil. This is yeah. This is Ken Wilber's observation, and you know, talking about the basic premise being that you know a lot of people say it's just technology. It's about how you use it, and it's like, well, yes and no. Like you, we shape the technology, but the technology also shapes us, and it can shape our values. It can shape our interactions with everything. So. It definitely does shape us. It's there's a feedback loop there, um, and what he talked about with the plow was that you had this indigenous culture where even if they're hunting and killing animals and doing all this stuff, that they still pay homage and these things are sacred and they give to them and they have these certain rituals based around eating and subsuming animals and how they interact with their environment and they are one with it. All of their gods were, you know, something to do with the environment, to do with the rivers, or to do with the mountains, or to do whatever, right? It was all in a in um, subservience to these things, and then the plow comes around, and you have this thing where you tie it to an ox, and the ox is pulling it, and you're whipping this ox all day to go through the field. And how do you justify your old belief system of being one with nature if you're just whipping this ox, making it less than every day? 
So now you have to put yourself above nature to say this must bend to me. This must, this is, I am in control of it. It is less than, it is not just another piece of the one, but it is a less than, it is in a different world below me. And then you get, and right around, around this time is when you see, like it's called the upper axial age revolution, when you see the bifurcation, the split into this dual worldview, this Gnostic kind of view up the up there and the down here instead of the platonic or the indigenous worldview of it's all one everything emanates to and from the one thing it's all interconnected in some way and then yeah. that's what it yeah so which is uh, what more and more of the mathematicians and theoretical physicists are, are starting to come into uh or beginning to have more conversations about they said hey wait a second we really got to look at how all these things connect instead of trying to you know be motivated by ego masturbation and prove my way is right or this way is right or that way is wrong or whatever. And when looking right. at harmonics and, and numbers theory and whatever, you know, I mean, there's there's a ton of things out there. Exactly. Uh, this is you mentioned Eric Weinstein earlier. This is why I kind of like following him as well. I also enjoy him. I know he has that geometric unity theory that he, his own, and okay. I, I just. I like it because it's his theory in physics where you're not just when you're counting the dimensions, you have these different dimensions, but he says you're like, you have the, the classic four dimensions from the Einsteinian model. Right. And then he, he goes, you're leaving out the rulers and protractors that measure those dimensions. He goes, in reality, when you do that, he goes, you have 16 because all those things that measure in between those. So you're putting yourself at a very particular, like you said, he compares it to a stadium. Like if you're in a stadium right now in the Einsteinian model, we're at the north end of the stadium in the upper row. But right. what if you were down on the field? What would you see? What if you were in another part of the stadium? What would you see? Um, and it's about taking that different perspective. And then he said, you know, geometry being the underlying language of nature. Uh, and and trying to you know look at it from that from that angle. Okay, so mind if I come back at you with a bit here? Go for it. Okay, Plato. If I'm if I'm if I'm not mistaken, 1,741 years ago is when he died, I believe. Mm -hmm. Somehow this cat knew the Platonic year, 25,920 years to move around this this make this particular motion. How'd that cat know that? Well, we do know that him and Aristotle and Socrates, they all studied in Egypt at the mystery schools, as well as like Leonardo da Vinci and so forth. And we know that the Great Pyramid, amongst many other pyramids, has a processional uh, wobble, uh, the calculator for the wobble of our, of our Earth. So if you have the Earth's axis on uh, the plane going around the sun, for that whole wobble to happen one time completely is a long time. 26,000 years. 2160. 2160. So that's that's just for the the wobble of the Earth to make its complete wobble going around the Sun. That's not a not that's mm. not the Sun going around the uh, center. But what's interesting is the same amount of time that it takes for that wobble to do a complete rotation on its own uh, axis on that plane going around the Sun is the same amount of time based on a 30 degree angular vortex to get from one constellation to the next which mm -hmm. is also 2,160 years. If you divide 25,920 by 12, which is for each sign of the zodiac, based on that 30 degrees and 30 times 12 is 360, but you divide that into that, uh, a month is 2,160. 
So the amount mm -hmm. of time it takes for our wobble to complete its rotation, 2,160 years based on the axis that it's on and the plane that it's on as it does it, is exactly one month in the platonic year. Right. Well, when we look at the platonic solid that represents the month, it's a cube. And a cube has six sides. Each side has four angles. And what's the, how many degrees is the angle? Each angle. Yeah. How many degrees is each angle? 90, right? 90 in the corner, yeah. 90 in the corner, 90 in the corner. Add those up, it's 360. 360 times six, 2160. Mm -hmm. Trip. Now, if you were to go to ChatGPT and say, what is platonic solids used for nowadays? They say all theoretical physicists use it for studying higher dimensional, uh, higher dimensional mathematics. How the fuck right. does this guy know this 1,741 years ago? How do you know this? He had a different relation to reality. Totally different relationship to reality. Now let's take a look at another thing. So we know that is the galactic month. Well, what is the etymological origin of the word month? Moon. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that's cool. Well, the diameter of the moon is 2,160 miles. That's a little interesting. What does miles have to do with geometric angles, have to do with uh, the time it takes to, for our Earth to complete its wobble, the, you know, having it be one twelfth of a plus. How does all of this stuff connect to such a beautiful, it's really fascinating. So they were looking at it through harmonics and harmonic resonance and the law of resonance and how these things want to work together. So no, over my over over the years of my life, I I studied with a fellow by the name of Drumbel El Melchizedek when I was in my twenties. I was really lucky to be able to study with this cat who was teaching okay. sacred sacred geometry way back in the day. And okay. uh, just recently, I contacted another. Uh, I, I contacted a beautiful woman, whom her husband was writing books about this stuff, and he passed away a few years ago. And a lot of the stuff didn't get published. And I just sent her, I said, hey, do you mind sending me one? She's like, you bet. So she's sending it down to me, which I'm stoked about. Because him and I used to have these amazing conversations. Like, how is it possible that the Earth has the moon coming between it and the sun? And it's completely, almost a perfect elliptical uh, uh, eclipse, right? How is it possible? And this cat would tell me things like, well, do you know you can fit 108 Earths between, or 108 moons between the Earth and the moon? I was like, really? Okay, cool. And he's like, did you know you could fit 108 suns between the Earth and the sun? Really? Wow, that's interesting. Did you know you could fit 108 Earths across the diameter of the sun? What? Okay, so did you know that the, uh, you know, the diameter of the moon is 2,160 miles and that the radius of the sun is 432,000 miles, which is double? Mm -hmm. Exactly double. Exactly double. Mm -hmm. Did you know you can fit all of the planets in our solar system between the Earth and the Moon? With just a little tiny bit of little nine little tiny spaces. Nine. Then when you go back and you look at the numbers, 25920, you add them up, it's nine. You look at 108, all those examples, it's nine. You look at 360, it's nine. You look at 2160, it's nine. You look at the, the small amount of space in miles or kilometers in between the planet, nine. It's like, wow. And you know, Plato would say, yeah, nine is the intelligent design number, which by the way, in this language, anchor nine is divine when life is consciously designed. So we uh -huh. can begin to tie into, yep. we begin to tie into all of this mystical, magical, mathematical truth that mm -hmm. we're remembering. Going back yep. to original paleolinguistic languages, the etymology of our current languages, 
the mathematics, how it all seamlessly, seamlessly comes together. And then using ways to holistically use the brain to create probabilities to amplify based on the future potential instead of our past. Gotcha. So I see what you're saying there. You're measure you're messing with the protractors and measurements. So like, for example, if I have um, if I have a record player, and you know we're talking about the dimensions, which is the time, the sorry, the space. This is where it is. And then there's the time, how it moves around or how you measure the movement of it, the momentum of something around something or this, or the distance between the space. Then if I have like the record player and I have, okay, this is the record and the needle moves me throughout time on the record. If I have two needles, I can be in two places at once. I can also skip ahead. I can skip back. I can go to a middle. I can go halfway through a song. I can go quarter way through. I can go wherever I want on there because that's that's the basically like the protractor. So, so you're talking about using and tapping into these ancient measurement systems or these ancient uh, ways of measuring distance and time to travel or momentum to get there to hack around and move around the space. Correct. Yeah, let's let's include a. Let's include a uh, projector as well as a record player. Since we're going back back to the day, going back old school, we got the projector, right? Cool. Why? Yeah. Why? Well, because we're looking at time. When you take a look at you know the 25, 25,920 seconds, check out what that is. We'll come back and have a conversation about that, right? Then we can take a look at okay, well, how does that seconds relate to years? Relate to dimension? Relate to geometry relate to a physical manifestation that just showed up that we can that's time space matter dimension all linked together through these numbers now if you'll remember 2160 21 i notice sensations papasana 60 and i sit 61 mm -hmm. strong determination mm -hmm. in dissolving sankaras 2160 for me this has a meaning that goes so much deeper and people will begin to realize that as they create their language, it is going to link into a larger language in a way that they can't even comprehend yet, but it is going to. It is going to. Yeah. Because the universe is like, like, I want to communicate to you. And as Carl Jung wrote in almost every one of his books, but most famously in Synchronicities, is how the universe is attempting to communicate it to us through numbers. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and Almost the, the, the driving question, if you YouTube mathematician questions right now or, or, or uh, theoretical physicist questions, almost the first question that's asked people is, were numbers discovered, was math discovered, was invented? Right. That's like the yeah. number one question right now. And everyone's like, God damn, don't ask me that damn question, man. Because if there's a very... Chicken, yeah, chicken and the egg kind of question. It's, 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 a, it's a rabbit hole. Right. And are and are are the numbers the last thing? Is there something beyond the numbers? Quarks. What's the quark behind the number? You know. Well, one of one of my biggest fears with the uh, with math. I, I have a friend who's a mathematician. I say I say, aren't you afraid that you're just hovering around this border with math, and there's something uh, beyond that, uh, and you can't get outside that border because you're trying to use the border to hack the border? Yeah, yeah. it's like you Elon Musk saying, "What's behind the simulation?" Right. Or it's like when you're a kid in class and, and the, you know, they say, they tell you the universe is expanding and you go, into what? <laughs> or, yeah. who, or God made the universe. Who made God? Right. 
Right, right. Yeah, yeah. it's all those questions. <laughs> yeah. Take you back to when you're five years old. All the, but dad, why? Yeah, exactly. I was I, I was going to make that joke earlier. Actually, when you when you were talking about expanding consciousness, I'm like, into what? Yeah. <laughs> so cool, man. Well, listen, I I actually have some work to do. Rather <laughs> work to do. Um, but I loved having you on. Uh, if you're, you know, dude, come back on anytime. Uh, we set us another one. We can dive more deep into the layers. I know we wanted to go through. Said you had the twenty layers that you had, and we just kind of touched on the, you know, beginnings of that and whatever. But if you, if you, if you'd like to, you're more than welcome to come on again, and let's uh, dive deeper. I would love to, bro. It's very stimulating. I really enjoy having this conversation with you and listening with you. I feel like we're brothers. The moment I got off the phone the first time we spoke, I was like, man, I want to merge minds with this guy. I really feel like uh, a blessed opportunity to attract you as a as a reflection of my life, especially at this time of my life. So thank you. I appreciate it. Cool, man. Yeah, dude. No, thanks. Thanks for presenting this and coming up with this for the world. I mean, I'm interested to... You know, it's 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 such a it's such a deep thing that I'm also I'm I'm still you know you've explained it a lot, but I'm I'm going to need to take a minute to digest and and come back and think about it even more. So, well, you know what's interesting is it's um, very very easy to learn, and we've made so many games and songs and raps and and things out of it to learn this, and yeah. that's why it's broken up into fifty simple lessons on how to learn it, and then you design your own deal from there. It's it's uh, not as complicated as I make it sound. Yeah, but it's like skiing. It's easy. It's what is it? No, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like skiing. It's easy to it's easy to learn, but hard to master, right? I wouldn't say that's true about this. It's not no? so hard to master. No, it's not. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot okay. easier than we think. I think actually, what happens is uh, it awakens a memory of something that is actually inherent in us. Okay. Yeah. All right, man. It was great. It was great talking to you. Likewise. We'll do it again, definitely. Sometimes. Okay. Peace, bro. All right. Take care, brother.